Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. A look at the news any morning reminds us that America is no longer the singular dominant power in the world. This is true vis-a-vis soft power, moral persuasion, or even cultural power. American movies, music, and art no longer are the single option for global entertainment. Perhaps not since the British invasion of the 60s have we seen so much art and entertainment coming from outside of the U.S. This time from India, from South Korea, and even from Turkey. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Fatima Bhutto. Fatima grew up in Syria and Pakistan. She's the author of five previous books of fiction and nonfiction. And her newest work, just out from Columbia Global Reports, is New Kings of the World, Dispatches from Bollywood, Dizzy, and K-Pop. It is my pleasure to welcome Fatima Bhutto here to the program. Fatima, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Well, a delight to have you here. As you began to to look at the way in which all this, this new entertainment is spreading around the world, I'm curious whether some of it was really evolved in some ways in reaction to the kind of cultural hegemony of the U.S. that, that had lasted so long. Um, well, you know, American culture has been so warmly received and, and the world has really been overwhelmed by it in, in a lot of senses. The new cultural industries, whether we're looking at Bollywood or Turkish television shows, Dizzy as they're called, or K-pop, they do all spring um, from what we might call an American model. But they take that model and they do something really unique and fresh and exciting with it. And they... They have evolved over decades. These are not new industries. These are all industries that have been in the making um, for many, many years now. And as they are growing and as they are reaching wider and wider audiences, it's so interesting to see how they diverge from that very American model. And to what extent have these different forms, whether it's Bollywood or or K-pop, to what extent have they evolved in order to to Mm -hmm. really gain more global acceptance? Well, I think they are evolving. If you look at the all, uh, the Bollywood films, traditionally are musicals in a sense. They, a film will have an average of five to six song and dance numbers. And when I say song and dance, I mean like 100 people in backup dancing costumes, singing along on a mountaintop. And if you watch the more recent films coming out of Bollywood, they're doing away with that in quite a subtle way. They're not doing as much of it as they might have done in the past. Either there are less songs or there are no dance numbers. Um, or there's, you know, not a hundred people wearing glitter, um, jumping up and down on a mountain. And I think that's designed to pull in new viewers. If you look at the Turkish shows, the Turkish shows are quite phenomenal because they appeal very much to modern audiences. They're very high production value. They're great tension and quite nuanced scripts, but they're also designed to pull in the every person. So you could be watching anything. It doesn't really look like it's Istanbul in terms of the modern drama. And K-pop, of course, um, is a kind of bait and switch. You know, it takes Western music and it Koreanizes it. It does that partially by speeding the tempo up. And that's what makes K-pop so dancey and so positive and so fun to listen to. And then Koreanism is a syllabic language like English. And that's what makes it so easy to sing along. But just in order to make sure that you are still hooked, very strategically, (laughs) K-pop producers will put in English words. So there's something for English audiences to click on to. 
To what extent have economics played a role in this? The fact that, that all of these forms have become more and more successful in their own country, which kind of allowed them the ability to experiment, the ability to branch out because of the economics, the internal economic success. Well, economics is a big part of it, and, and it's interesting you mention it. All these countries, India, Turkey, and Korea, all undergo neoliberal economic reforms at the same time. Um, and neoliberalism disarticulates so much in these countries. Just remember as well that you have a lot of people moving from rural homes, migrating into cities in these countries. And those people migrating, um, finding themselves unmoored in, in the big city, are not satisfied with Western pop culture. There are a lot of the audiences that are receiving these new kings of the world, as it were, um, because they are products that speak to that economic disarticulation, that uncertainty and that turbulence that, that, that has happened over the last 30 years, eventually all over the world, but, but very much so in Asia and the global south. The degree to which K-pop or, or, or Bollywood has gained wider acceptance throughout the world, even in, in the U.S., to what extent was that intentional and how much of it was organic? Well, I think it was organic if we're looking at Bollywood. Um, the Bollywood films of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s were very popular in the Soviet Union, for example, because they were entertaining, but ideologically they were not Western. You know, they were not American. Um, they became really popular. I went to Peru for New Kings of the World to write about this subculture of Bollywood fans who have no real connection to India. It's not like there's huge trade or huge travel or huge migration. There's really nothing of that. But they respond to Bollywood films because for once they see people who look like them. These are, you know, Andean people, people coming from the highlands, indigenous Peruvians, who don't feel represented in Hollywood, who don't feel their stories, their failures are represented in Western culture. That's happened organically. Um, with the Turkish shows, Again, they happened organically. They became big in the Middle East first. And only once they were big in the Middle East did they start to mushroom and, and go everywhere. And, you know, Magnificent Century, which is a, an older but a very popular dizzy, is estimated to have been watched by 500 million people in the world today. And that's organic. I think now that they know there's the scope of, of these enormous numbers, they are working in a very nuanced way to keep those numbers there, to keep making stories that appeal to the widest number of people. Is it a zero-sum game? Does the success of, of these different art forms in various places around the world mean that, that American culture, which had dominated for so long, has, has sort mm -hmm. of slipped, both economically mm -hmm. and in terms of interest? Well, I don't think it's a zero-sum game, but it's certainly shaking, um, you know, the Hollywood industry um, in, in interesting ways. If you look at India and Turkey, those are two countries where local films will always perform better at the box office than a Hollywood film. And that's been true for a long time. Now, as, you know, people are um, moving more and more into the cities and more people we're able to go and watch films, that will translate into box office numbers. But I think it's also going to force Hollywood's hand. They're going to have to start telling different stories. And they've come very late to this idea of representation and diversity. And it's because they've been so slow to come to that, that there's been a vacuum that's been filled up by, by all these other players. I think people still watch American products, of course. It's not that they're, you know, um, erased and, and abandoned. But we have to distinguish in a way between high and low culture. I mean, I don't like that distinction, yeah. but 
you know, Breaking Bad, uh, let's say, or Narcos would be more high culture. But what's on television in America, shows like Law and Order or NCIS, that's not being watched anywhere in the world, really. And how does it apply to movies and and the proliferation of comic book movies and and big special effects movies in in America? And, And how is this? How does this play against that? Well, you know, I think those are always going to have fan bases. Um, that come from, you know, devotion to comics and to graphic novels and things like that. But if you are a young girl in Guatemala and your family has moved you from your ancestral village to the city and you're struggling to survive, you know, is Avengers 7 really going to speak to that? <laughs> or, or it isn't, I think, you know, you may watch it for entertainment, but the, but the movie that really grabs you, the movie that really captures you is a movie that's going to speak to that tension that you feel, that uncertainty, um, the difficulties of leading an honorable life with the world against you. And, you know, Bollywood is incredibly good at that. Turkish Dizzy are very good at that. And I think that's why they're so popular today. Talk a little bit about the Turkish Dizzy and, and the evolution of that, because I think it's probably the one part of this that people in the yeah. U.S. know the least about. Absolutely. Even though Turkish Dizzy are available on Netflix, you can find some of them on Amazon Prime. You can see little bits on YouTube. Um, and as I said, they've been watched, one, one of the shows at least has been watched by upwards of 500 million people. But it's the English-speaking world that has not really fallen under the Turkish sway yet. So for those who don't know, Turkish Dizzy are what we might think of as soap operas, but Turks certainly don't think of them as soap operas. Um, they have unique scores, unique production. They're filmed in Turkey, uh, mostly in Istanbul, but certainly in other parts of the country. Um, each episode of a Dizzy is about two hours and 15 minutes long. So they're like movies. Um, mm-hmm. Each episode is like a movie. Many of them are based on Turkish literary classics. So the script is, is quite sophisticated. And they, they the themes vary. They, many popular shows are based on epic set in the Ottoman Empire, of course, you know, the peak of Turkish power in the world. But they are also dramas set in the modern day. So, for example, there's a show that was very popular in the world and has now started uh, being aired in Italy and in Spain and Western Europe called What is Fatma Gul's Fault? And it's the story of a young girl uh, who suffers a gang rape. And she's a poor girl from a poor background. And her rapists are the rich sons of industrialists. And it's a show about her quest for justice. It's one of the the biggest exports from Turkey. Um, and it's it's been remade. So it's been remade in India. It's been remade in, in, in many places. And they are particularly a- appealing because they are this amazing blend of modernity in terms of the production value, the settings, the scenery, and the problems. But they're also very traditional. So they have traditional values, traditional morality, and traditional constraints. There's no, there's no profanity. Um, there's not a lot of violence in the shows. Um, there's not, you know, vulgar scenes of sex or anything like that. Um, and so they really are shows you could watch with your entire family, with your grandmother, with your kids, and, and enjoy them together as a family. Is there concern that as these things become more global, Bollywood or K-pop or anything else, as they become more widespread and accepted globally, that there, is there concern among some that they'll become more homogenized? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, when we talk about Bollywood, Bollywood films 
were always very unique and they encapsulated a vision that was reflected on the ground politically and culturally in India. And they're being used right now in many ways in a kind of government propaganda form. That's going to make them unpalatable to people outside of India. It's just they won't translate as well. Um, in the Turkish sense, I think people are worried that they will become just Western-looking dramas. So there are efforts in Turkey to keep them distinctly anchored in Turkish stories, Turkish history. And I think they're doing that quite well. In terms of K-pop, K-pop is essentially um, something we're familiar with. You know, when you hear a K-pop song, it sounds like something you know before right. or you've heard before. And that comes from... It's quite Korean idea called globalization. They're taking Western products and Koreanizing them. And so far, they've, they've done it in a way that's quite interesting. Yes, it sounds Western, um, but there's something so Korean about it from, from the visuals, um, from the wholesomeness of the lyrics. And, you know, they're experimenting with new forms. There's a lot of hip-hop elements in K-pop today. And I, I think it's just such a creative landscape that, that hopefully they will be able to be immune from, from an imminent homogenization. And, and that really was the next question. The, the degree to which all of this is a changing landscape, that there is experimentation, that there are those that are kind of pushing the envelope into taking these forms and, and really trying to do new things with them. And, and I think that's true. I think certainly, you know, K-pop has these fascinating origins. Um, America, of course, was very heavily involved in South Korea. America ran a, a full military government in the late 1940s. And in the 1950s, 60s, uh, there were something like 300,000 American military personnel stationed in Korea. And those military personnel came with enormous bases. They brought movies with them. They needed to be entertained. And so young Koreans really were introduced to the idea of rock and roll, of, of exciting new music by the American military defense complex. At the same time, when Korea was coming out um, many decades later of, of the 1997 Asian financial crisis, it was their president's um, actually quite trailblazing vision to rebuild the economy on cultural lines that saved the country. So instead of relying economically on these big you know, industries like Samsung or Hyundai, President Kim Dae-jung in the late 90s decided to focus efforts on culture. And they put a lot of money into cultural industries, um, into internet technology. And and that's really where K-pop is born out of. It comes out of these two quite political origin stories. And then it does something <laughs> intense and unique with that. Are we seeing new forms emerge in other places in the world that, mm -hmm. that, that, that kind of parallel what we're seeing with Bollywood and K-pop? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I don't know if your listeners are watchers of Nigerian films, but Nollywood, as they call it, is a big player, not just in the making of films or television, but in online streaming. Mm. So, you know, Nigerian companies don't have a Netflix. They've got many, many, many versions of Netflix that are watched by hundreds of millions of people. Um, if you look at sports, um, you have things like IPL cricket, you know, Indian Premier League cricket, which is the franchising of essentially an old British Commonwealth game. Um, and so they're, they're, they're taking sports out in this exciting new global way. Iranian films are, are beautiful products. They're not low culture or mass culture, shall we, shall we say. They're, they're very much art house indie films. Um, but they're stunning. You know, they, they now show it at uh, the Oscars, at mm -hmm. Cannes Film Festival. So, yeah, I think there's, there's 
the whole world is kind of racing. Culture is so tied to to the movement of people, um, to the politics of our, our day. You might even remember that Donald Trump um, used Game of Thrones imagery to announce <laughs> sanctions on Iran. <laughs> so it, it's become a part of how we, how we think of ourselves in the modern world. Where does China fit into any of this? Yes, China. China is the looming giant, as, as it always is. And I'll give you two different examples of, of what we should look for when it comes to China. There's a lot of Chinese money in Hollywood today. Chinese um, um, producers are coming in to fund Hollywood movies and to fund Hollywood studios. And they're not doing that because they love Hollywood films. They're doing that because they're learning. And as soon as they learn how it's done, then they're going to start doing it themselves. And this was evident very much in Korea when I was there. China was a huge market for K-pop music. And after some political tensions with South Korea um, that involved America as well, um, it was the placing of an American missile system in Korea that annoyed China to the point where they said, okay, do you know what? We'll just stop um, allowing platforms for Korean music to stream in China. And you know what? We'll just start making our own music. And they brought back a lot of a lot of Mandarin speakers and singers were in K-pop bands, and many of them left and went back home and relaunched uh, solo careers. What's very big in Korea are things called idol shows, which you know I like American Idol, but imagine that they're watched by 400 million people when they air. Uh, China is now big in idol shows, and and you know Warner Music, um, one of the biggest music labels in the world, has already said that artists are going to want to break out in China the way they once wanted to break out in America. So China is a quick learner, and they're industrious, and they're dynamic and creative, and I think one should be watching them very closely. To what extent is technology playing a role in the evolution of all of this? I think it's important. When, when I was in Peru, I noticed that there were a lot of um, Internet fan groups that brought people, you know, from different parts of the country, the big country, together. Um, obviously, Bollywood films are not traditionally subtitled or dubbed into Spanish, but people were doing that at home on their laptops and then just uploading them onto personal portals. Netflix has been a great connector in this way. Um, it allows us to, to watch things and to engage um, with countries we might normally otherwise but even know we're making films. So I don't think any of this would be possible without technology. Even, you know, if we look at the Turkish shows, Turkish shows are on Netflix, but Turkey now has their own streaming platforms. And they don't, at the moment, on the Turkish streaming sites, they don't subtitle the shows in English. They subtitle them in other languages. You know, they're in French or they're in Arabic, um, which speaks to the part of the world that they're looking at. I mean, I hope they, they start subtitling them in English. But I think all these countries um, are, are great watchers, not only of the market, but, but certainly of technology, too. And does social media play a role in the promotion and growth of all of this? Oh, absolutely. B BTS, the, the very famous Korean um, band, I think they've been the most tweeted about celebrities for a couple of years running. In 2017, they beat out pretty much everyone, you know, the president of the United States, um, sports stars, you name it. They were all second, third, fourth, and fifth to BTS. Um, there's also a lot of fan, fan groups and fan culture that thrives on the internet. And um, YouTube, you know, I think out of the top 10 most viewed YouTube videos in YouTube's history, six are Korean music videos. They famously, YouTube didn't even know a video 
could have over a billion hits until Gangnam Style. It was after Gangnam Style that YouTube had to reset their counter. And as you've alluded to a couple of times, the numbers that are watching this or listening to this, they're just staggering, these numbers, compared to what we talk about for stuff for (laughs) U.S. consumption. Oh, absolutely. You know, K-pop is a $5 billion a year industry. Um, As I said, with Turkey, it's upwards of 500 million people who are watching these shows. Bollywood, if we want to look at Bollywood, Bollywood produces more films a year than any industry in the world. It's, you know, anywhere between 1,500 to to 2,000 films a year. Uh, That comes to something like two, three films a day are being released in India. And, you know, they sell more tickets than any other box office in the world. And the Indian cinema industry grows at over 11% a year. Um, That's faster than anyone. It's a remarkable story. Fatima Bhutto, her new book is The Kings of the World, Dispatches from Bollywood, DZ, and K-Pop. Fatima, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Jeff. It was a pleasure.